Welcome to An Audible. I'm your host, Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the One Infinite Creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening. Hey, Nathan, how's it going? Wonderful. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I uh, recorded a the last episode that the listener listened to uh, on Purity uh, earlier today, and I am uh, chomping at the bit to jump into this thing that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, also, so am I. I already went over all my life issues that are going on <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so what's going on with you? Um, I guess, uh, you know, same old, same old, I guess I, you'd have heard, I think that I'm probably going to be moving, um, shortly, but, uh, hopefully at least. So, uh, there's always, that's kind of interesting. It's always that new energy with a new place. Right. So right. I, just, you know, not moving very far, but, uh, it's always nice to step into a new place. But other than that, life's good. Oh, how, right how about, here. so have you had a lot on your plate? Well, you know, the, the whole, uh, starting a new job on Monday, um, and then, uh, you know, getting in a four car pileup. <laughs> oh yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on, on, on the job. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, the, the catalyst will continue, I'm sure, but, uh, I'm really looking forward to a qualitatively different role than I've had for the last, you know, 20 plus years. Um, so whether it's worse or better, it will be different. Yeah. Sounds exciting. I'm happy yeah. for you. Cool. Well, you were the one who suggested this topic for today. Uh, do you want to give a little bit of an intro on what we're talking about? Yeah, I just thought in terms of a, a good way to approach this. So, you know, the topic for today is, is kind of a, um, orange and yellow ray interactions with others. And it's a, it's a big topic. There's a lot to, to, to discuss. I don't know if we'll necessarily um, cover all aspects today. But in terms of kind of the overview I was thinking we could first kind of go over the definitions of what we're talking about when we're talking about orange and yellow ray centers, um, and then go into common uh, challenges that seekers often face with orange and yellow ray interaction with others, um, and then kind of go into uh, orange and yellow ray distortions or frameworks for orange and yellow ray distortions that I find are very useful in kind of thinking about the situations. Then we'll talk about the uh, infamous mirroring effect that uh, dealing with others always seems to have. And then um, kind of tie it back together in how these uh, these lower rays, um, orange and yellow and even red, kind of uh, springboard into green and beyond. Uh, so with that, why don't we just get right into it in terms of, you know, what do we mean when we're talking about orange and yellow ray uh, centers, uh, specifically with reference to interaction with, with, uh, with others? Um, uh, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think what we're talking about with orange and yellow ray are, you know, these are two centers that come directly after the first one, which is that foundational, life-giving, uh, uh, survival, like the basic energy center that you would need to simply be a homeostatic entity, consuming energy and producing things. Um, when we get to orange ray, 
uh, we're, we're starting to get that first level of refinement. And it has to do with, uh, as I understand it, uh, your relationships, your relationships with, however, one other person, not just everybody in general, but your relationship with one other person. Now, this can be another person than you, another entity, but it can also be your relationship with yourself. What we're talking about is this relationship in this single dimension, right? Where it's this one-to-one relating, whether it's one-to-one relating with yourself or with others. It's this intensive, uh, nuanced, uh, particular relationship. As we move on to Yellow Ray, we are talking about something that approaches more of society in general, right? Like, what are your duties uh, to the culture in which you live? What are your duties as uh, the the role that you're playing in this, in this life. If you are uh, a uh, provider of your family that has certain duties that are not just about your specific relation, emotional relationship with each child or your wife or your partner, but this is about a more general kind of role that you play in the, so in the social energy complex, we could say. And, um, yeah, it's it can it can partake of legal concepts, employment concepts, uh, political concepts. Even I think politics relates a lot to this, uh, this 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 yellow ray uh, dimension of intercourse with others, where you are you're not relating in this very very uh, personal way, this personal and like intimate way. That's what I think the big thing is. It's like a it's a it's a level of intimacy. With the orange ray, it's a little bit more intimate of a relationship that we're talking about because it partakes of two uh, 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 people, even if that's you to yourself. That's still that's still a spectrum of that that's that's bookended by two entities. In yellow ray, we're talking about something that is generalized to a wide number of people, and the way that you conceive of your identity in that network of relationships. Does that tack to what you were thinking, Nathan? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would just have two refinements in that. Um, well, three, uh, as mentioned before, orange and yellow ray are a little bit broader than just interaction with other selves or, or, or selves in general. Um, but we're kind of focused more on just um, interaction with, with, with selves. So, you know, obviously like orange ray deals with like the, you know, um, your relationship to your emotions and things of that nature, uh, power, personal power, but we're not kind of mm-hmm. covering that today, uh, except uh, as they relate to interactions with others. Right. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I viewed Orange as the relationship with, with an individual self, including yourself. Um, and Yellow Ray as kind of your, um, relationships with groups of individuals and on a non-personal basis, generally speaking. Uh, you know, there's raw quotes about kind of, it's almost like a, it's a, a smooth continuum between orange and yellow in their interactions. And the only other thing I would add, and maybe we disagree a little bit, and 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 I originally was more along the lines of your thinking in that yellow ray is very much duties and roles and responsibilities. And I, I, often it can be in terms of how you interact with groups. But, you know, there's an interesting raw quote in talking about orange ray distortion in that just an individual relationship with another self of master slave is an orange ray is an orange ray relationship orange ray distortion um they talk about ray of possession and things like that so at least for some versions of orange ray interaction um you can treat an individual uh purely as a duty based relationship which i would say is not ideal but it, it can occur on a, on an individual basis yeah i think we might 
we might have some difference there. And uh, it's just good to, to, to acknowledge it. See, uh, when you brought up the uh, master-servant relationship as an orange ray relationship, like every relationship to me partakes of all the rays in some way, right? The question is, which, did, which predominates for the purpose of understanding this frequency of the energy at, at work, right? In, right, so right. For example, for example, in a master-servant relationship, the yellow ray aspect of it is in those formal duties that one uh, takes on to play the role. The, 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 the thing that's so genius about your example, and I really appreciate you bringing up, is that it's not just that. That, that that involves that relationship. There is also a more intimate side of it. Um, Nietzsche talked about this, I believe, that, you know, the servant learns, the servant it grows in that relationship because they have to do all the work. And so they know all the things that go into making the master the master, whereas the master is weakened because they come to depend upon the servant. Um, that has a yellow ray connotation to it. It also has this um, orange ray connotation in the sense that uh, the the servant needs to kind of anticipate the master's needs. It needs to kind of be able to the the or the the servant needs to put him or herself in the master's shoes in order to understand and anticipate what the master wants. The master can kind of like be thoughtless in how they think about their own needs, except to the extent that they kind of like whine and complain and ask for them. Uh, so there's all of these dynamics. And then of course, I think there's also a green ray aspect too, right? It might be very small, Absolutely. but there's still this like uh, selfless giving that, that, that sometimes uh, occurs in any relationship, no matter how negative. And then we can go into blue ray and all this stuff. And remember, I, I would just point out that, when we're talking about examples of these rays and how they uh, sort of manifest, they are they are exemplified just as much by when they are um, brought into existence in full flower and in full spectrum color as they are when they are uh, abnegated and diminished in color. Like I think the very fact that I can go to the store and have an interaction with a cashier that is almost entirely yellow ray brings out the fact that we don't have that orange ray relationship. It's very strong. It's there, but it's not very strong. It's not predominating right. in our consciousness. Right. I, and I, I love your example of interacting with um, a cashier. So the, the way I would, I would um, kind of define how orange ray interactions um, when they're, when they're role-based is different than yellow ray uh, interactions when they're role-based is it's almost like, are you interacting based on a, a group, identity or a classification. Like I'm interacting with the sales clerk. There's, um, you know, there's culturally accepted ways of doing that. You go, up, you know, you go up to pay, uh, there, you know, that they're a cashier. So you might just initially ask them, maybe you're not even there to pay. You just ask them a question about the store because you expect them as a clerk, they would know that. Right. Um, so it's kind of like your yellow ray interaction based on duties is, you don't know anything about them, but purely on the basis of their role that you that you perceive their role to be, or something about their group characteristic, um, you're going to be attributing certain things to them, and it's going to affect your interaction. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, there's harmless examples of that, right? Or I would let me word it better. There's examples that don't necessarily uh, are not ne necessarily negatively oriented, like you know, assuming that a sales clerk would know certain things about the store is not, I don't think, inherently negative. But for example, if we go into the areas of racism where you're automatically assuming certain attributes based on the color of their skin, yeah, 
that is, is a very negative, like hierarchical way of looking at the world, right? Uh, service to self, because, you know, you're basically putting people uh, below or beneath you based on group characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, but with respect to, I think there there is, um, and it is complicated, but I think in general, there's much overlap between orange and yellow ray interaction when you're talking about roles. But the orange ray kind of uh, interaction with a role is kind of... Uh, well, let me read this quote from Raw, and then we'll, we'll get into how I understand this. So 32.2, uh, session 32, question two, questioner. Um, Thank you very much. I will now continue with the material from the day before yesterday. Our subject is how sexually, how sexual polarity acts as a catalyst in evolution and how best to make use of this catalyst. Going back to the material, I will fill in the gaps that we will possibly uh, don't understand at this point too well. Can you tell me the difference between orange and yellow ray activation? I'm going to work up from red ray uh, on through the violet. Basically, in raw answers, I am raw. The orange ray is the influence or vibratory pattern wherein the mind-body-spirit expresses its power on an individual basis. Thus, power over individuals may be seen to be orange ray. This ray has been quite intense amongst your peoples on an individual basis. You may see this ray in treating of other cells as non-entities, slaves, chattel, thus giving other selves no status what, uh, whatever. And then it goes on to say the yellow ray is a focal and very powerful ray. So the reason I think Ra talks about that is I would, I, at least I would say, certainly uh, race-based slavery is a very much yellow thing, very much, right? But if you look back in Roman times and, and Bronze Age times, they had non-race-based slavery. Like you lost mm-hmm. in a war. I took you prisoner. I captured you. Or not even a war. Slave traders, right, Um from what I read in the history books, I've never personally observed this, but slave traders, you know, they might find a, 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 a traveler by themselves and just capture them. Right. And by virtue of, I have exerted my power over you, you are now a slave. It has nothing to do with your group characteristics. It is a hundred percent due to our individual interaction and that I conquered you physically. And it, it is complicated. Um, but I think there is an orange ray kind of interaction, a very distorted orange ray interaction where you can um, purely see them uh, as a particular uh, role or relationship that is a little bit distinct from the yellow ray um, role or relationship interaction you have. I think I think you clarified it immensely, Nathan. Um, and I appreciate you uh, quoting a raw chapter and verse like that, because in this case, I think it was very helpful. Expressing power as an individual is very, very close to how I was thinking of it. But that that really uh, uh, focused in on what I think is important. And it's and it's also important to understand that, like, in all of these situations, it can start out as predominantly orange ray and turn into yellow ray or start out, for example, in the case of um, uh, slavery by conquest, for example. Um, a yellow ray organization of martial power into an army conquering, right? It's a big machine. They're all interacting mm-hmm. together based on their duties and roles, um, right. almost anonymously, right? It, who they are as a personality, as in a unique individual is not what's primary in that ray. What's primary in that ray is your position within the energy complex, right? right. So you think of an army, they conquer all these people, they take slaves, and then you take on one of the slaves as a soldier in that army. And now it has become an issue where the yellow ray relation has sort of like deepened into an orange ray relationship. Exactly. Now it is your personal relationship with this person. And of course, um, mastery uh, is a very individual thing because unless you are 
Now, now, maybe that would be different in a Roman time when you have an individual slave that you're controlling and, and, and dominating. That would be different than on, say, like a plantation in the 1700s in America, where your ability to work with that slave goes through an overseer or like a bureaucracy right. that 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 isolates you uh, from the actual exercise of the power. Right. I'm sorry and, that we're using such a negative thing to talk about these. Rights, right. Right. It, it, is, it puts it, it in it, very it, fine focus, does it not? Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I think um, maybe this is a useful time to go into a segue of really to understand a lot of the orange and yellow interactions with others. You know, honestly, when I, when I thought about this session, I thought we're going to, and I hope we will focus a lot on just like seemingly harmless social interactions and social groups and friend groups. But uh, so much of the orange and yellow ray is, is, is um, related to power, right? So I, I think it might be a good idea. Um, let me just dive into this uh, topic of power as I understand it in my present journey. It's always evolving, right? Um, in Go orange on, and yeah. yellow ray. Uh, so let me say this. I feel that a lot of people um, misunderstand the nature of power. So, I think a lot of people automatically assume that having some sort of power hierarchy or hierarchy in general is inherently negative. And I, mm -hmm. I, I having been in a bunch of different, you know, um, business contexts where, you know, we've tried the 50, 50 partnership um, versus, you know, having a, a person who would be loosely defined as a CEO and having maybe the rest of the executive team be CFO and things of that nature. And what came abundantly clear to me is that, Look, 50-50 partnerships and businesses can work, but there is – you can empower the entire group, all members of the group, sometimes, not always, but sometimes by having someone who has a little bit more decision-making power, right? Like the CEO versus the CFO. Now, it doesn't mean that the CEO is inherently superior, has more rights, is just better than the CFO. In, in fact, the CFO's role could be more important could actually wield more power in an individual situation involving finances, involving audits. But simply having a, a clear decision-making um, hierarchy, um, some sort of power structure can actually empower the entire organization. And I think often people are like, well, unless it's 50-50 in whatever situation, I'm less of a person, right? I don't view myself as less of a person just because I have a boss at work, okay? Like he, he doesn't have inherently more rights or, or, or uh, it, power over me, except in a very limited sense the way I see it is that I choose to be a part of this organization because I understand that um, a very effective way to work, uh, at least where we are right now in transitioning third and fourth density, is sometimes having some sort of loose power structure. Now, obviously, if you have a crazy boss or you have a horrible CEO who's going to ignore their executive team and you know all their direct reports, that's not good either. But I think people often misunderstand that just because there's some sort of hierarchical, uh, hierarchical power relationship that it's inherently negative or inherently uh, unequal. And I, 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 at least I personally don't view it that way. I yeah. actually view it as a good, a good hierarchy is empowering to all members of the hierarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, this is something that, as you can imagine with my uh, political uh, affinities, <laughs> I've thought about quite a bit. Um, I do agree with you. And I think it's a very important point. I want to, I want to try and see if I can take a slightly different, take on what you said please um a lot of what is in is uh, sort of uh encompassed in these rays as pure expressions of the creator's love and light and energy are different like uh uh 
different ways of channeling identity. If you're like in Orange Ray, you're channeling identity as an individual relating to another individual. And if you're channeling Yellow Ray, if that's predominating in your mind, in your expression, then you're thinking of yourself as the group in a way. Like your, your interests, your ability to think in terms of how to relate to things happens as the group being the recipient of the benefit and, and incurring the cost, right? So you're thinking in more of this, I, I am part of the group. And that's informing how you as an individual relate to things. But you're like, the, the idea that I'm trying to point out here is that identity is very arbitrary. I've always said this in a unified creation, the idea that we are one part of it is a complete fabrication from the get-go, right? So the idea is that the seven rays allow you seven different ways of being a self, seven different ways of conceiving of your agency, your identity, your role in things. And um, I think it's just important to understand that uh, hierarchy in particular is something that I'm very uncomfortable with, but only because of the way that we realize hierarchy. Other, I mean, those of Ra say the entire creation is hierarchically structured, but in the creation, there is no, uh, uh, there, there's no political power per se, right? Like, um, when things happen in the natural world from the point of view of physics, uh, forces interact, things collide and consequences ensue as a, as a, as a consequence of these basic laws. And uh, it is only in human relations that we start to have this idea of intention and the ability to manipulate other people intentionally and expressly at using them rather than relating to them as equals. Hierarchy can happen and predominate in situations where people relate to each other as equals. The problem is, is that uh, it doesn't mean that your position on the hierarchy is fixed. Right. You might, in a certain situation, be the most powerful. You might be at the top of the pyramid. But in another situation, someone else might be better off at the top of the pyramid. And I believe this is, this is speculation on my part. But I believe that the service to others hierarchy is one that can reconfigure itself based on the needs of the whole. The service to self hierarchy. Did I say service to others earlier or service to self? I think I you said it right. Service to others. Okay. Yeah, service no, you said it right. Okay, good. Service to self hierarchy is one in which the whole the whole motivation is to keep the highest position on the hierarchy possible in spite of what might be best for everyone, right? Because it's best for yourself. And it's right. your ability to maintain a cohesive identity and agency comes from your ability to uh, marshal and retain as much power as possible. And I would like to just to wrap this up um, – talk about what it means when we say power. In politics, there's a pretty formal definition that says that power is the ability to reliably affect changes in the world, right? If I can, um, if I, I there, there are tons of people who could blunder in a situation where their actions would have, you know, a million times more consequences than they realize and could affect everything. Like we have, there's countless uh, situations in history where people, in spite of themselves, uh, affect things. But that's not power because they didn't make it. They didn't say, I want to do this. And then they were able to take that idea of what they wanted to do, that intention, and actually manifest it. Power is when you're able to have that idea in your head 
and you can actually make it happen through some sort of force you're able to exert, whether that's charisma, uh, the instrumentality of the uh, bureaucracy that you're in charge of, whatever. Uh, it could just be your, your like, you know, like a priest uh, who's very famous is just able through their own charisma to make things happen, and they're able to reliably do that. And what that power is, is very intangible. And that's what makes it so uh, mysterious and coveted, right? Absolutely. Well, I think that was a good kind of a segue into um, the next topic on this uh, broad uh, spectrum here is what are some common uh, challenges that we face, you know, uh, maybe personal examples uh, in orange and yellow ray interaction with others. Um, and I guess, let me just start off. Uh, so one thing I always find difficult as a self-avowed introvert is um, sometimes it's very difficult, uh, especially early in my life when I maybe didn't have as much experience in these situations in social interactions as, as other people is understanding what someone, what another self is thinking or what they want. Right. Because um you know, it's not just the veil. Our interactions with each other, at least for me and so here in SoCal, they're often very veiled, right? People are not uh, very straightforward in what they um, truly want or uh, how they feel. And you kind of have to uh, figure it out from maybe things other than what they purely say, right? So I, I think the first thing for me that it can be a challenge and has been a challenge maybe in the past um, Although, obviously, I'd like to think now I'm very good at it, <laughs> given that, you know, I'm in court doing jury trials and things of that nature. But um, is, is really what, uh, what, what are other people thinking and feeling about the situation truly? Whether it's about you, whether it's about some issue that is presented to, uh, you know, to both of you or to the group. Like, what do they truly feel about it, right? Yeah, and there's, uh, there's a polarity uh, concern in there as well. Do I want to know what other people truly think and feel so that I can position myself against them best and get the most benefit from the, from the relationship, from the situation that obtains? Or do I want to know what they're really thinking and feeling and desiring so that I can serve them? And like the, 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 the funny thing about the service to others path is that serving them doesn't necessarily mean pleasing them, which introduces Absolutely. an even broader uh, – uh, problem into what it is that we should actually do. I think it's a huge issue. And one thing we might consider is that doing the right thing may not be the most important concern. Uh, please words, expand upon we, that. Well, well, we can't know. We can't know what the right thing is. Right. So we can tie ourselves in knots or we can try to uh, formalize or rigidify, reify the, the situation which we find ourselves and try to make it into a kind of a game theory sort of situation, right? But that's a – I think what those uh, – that what that approach uh, has as problematic is that it, it uh, draws upon our desire for control. Right. Power is the is the ability to affect your will on the plan, on, on the world, but that's a kind of control if you need everything to be exactly right for you to be able to do that. Um, a more service to others way of, of doing it would be to give your best and to know yourself well enough to be able to give what you can recognize as your best and then to ask for forgiveness and to accept it wholeheartedly when someone pushes back on you. In other words, like to accept that, hey, I'm 
dealing with an imperfect situation. I don't know what this person wants. I can ask them, but they may not be able to express it, whether they are unwilling to tell me. They don't know it themselves, right? Like often, often when you have examples of service and confederation channeling, you are talking about giving something to somebody that they don't even know that they want yet. Right. And you're tapping into an intuitive read of the situation. The more that you can get your um, – we talked about this last episode with purity. The more you can get out of your own way and let your light shine through, you might find yourself thinking, saying, doing things that you didn't anticipate but that are coming from this vibration that you feel. Now, this is a, a an exercise within faith that is rather advanced, I think. And yet I think people do it all the time. They do it without even thinking about it because they're coming from this place of love. Similarly, uh, you know, people can often manipulate other people without even thinking about it, thinking that they might even think they're coming from a place of love. And yet that fear that something might happen if they don't seize control and make it concrete and their ability to uh, realize what they want for the other person is imperiled uh, if they don't take control. Like that's that's this is what makes polarity so subtle and what I think we can do in this exploration of the orange and yellow ray in particular is try to tease out these polarized aspects of realizing these rays, uh, not just so we can understand the rays better, but we can understand polarity better, right? Absolutely. And, and um, this can't be understated that the fact that forcing your version or your will upon others when you think it's for their best is as, at least between two adults um, or at least between two people who are, you know, able to make decisions, um, is definitely a very controlling and can be a very negative thing. Uh, you see it in a lot of families, right, with their children. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, to a certain extent, um, it's a little bit more blurry when the children are very young. But you know, when they're eighteen, they're not really children anymore. Um, it's very important. To yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think even the parent-child uh, relationship needs to be understood um, as inherently to the extent it's controlling, it does partake of some kind of negativity. Like I think it needs to be accepted that we are not going to be purely positive. If you were to uh, like, I do think that there's a role to, there's a role for the idea that a child is not fully self-realized and therefore their desires and their will and their intention may not represent their true desire, their true will, their true intention. They don't know how to orient themselves within the, the, the society, orient themselves within the duties and the roles that they find themselves within. And therefore, like, they need a guiding hand. And it won't always be a guiding hand that is giving them the feedback that they desire. It will sometimes be feedback that they do not think that they desire. But to me, this just goes to show that like we need both the negative and positive poles. The positive polarity does not uh, abnegate the value of the negative pole. In fact, uh, in a lot of Kuo sessions, um, they talk about how it is from the negative the service to self path that we have all our – that's where all our power is, our grit, our ability to persevere. If you think of – I was talking about this in the other podcast, but – you think about what it takes to actually persevere on the negative path through all the densities, how much wit, raw will 
and ability to focus your uh, intention it takes in spite of all of the setbacks, in spite you're literally militating against the very nature of reality and you're still accomplishing it. That is right. incredible grit and focus and determination. And if you can make that your friend and equal partner in your, in, in the complex of, 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 of things that comprise yourself, then you have that available to you and you can balance it with your, with, with all the other stuff that's going on. Uh, we, on the positive path, recognize the uh, validity of the negative path. We just don't choose to to, to emphasize right. that. Yeah. So just two points. I would say that at least with um, raising children, I wouldn't necessarily view it as control, although certainly you can be very controlling, you know, because often children, by the nature of um, their impulsiveness, what they truly want, what they want in the moment isn't necessarily what they truly want. Right. Um, and then the second thing is, is that I would, I would, I would word it differently in that the negative path is made up by certain energy configurations, right? And some of those energy configurations are pure distortions that have no place in the positive path. So for example, um, you know, treating other, uh, this is going into philosophy. It's been forever, but treating other selves as um, means, right? That's, that's a purely negative uh, distortion that is, that is very effective for polarizing along the negative path, but the negative path you know, does focus on some things that are not necessarily distortions, but are more useful for the negative path. So for example, both the positive and the negative path can benefit from building up just a pure, um, uh, what do you call it? A, a pure primal cell sense of personal power, right? It's how you yeah. use it that makes it positive or negative. But obviously if you're all about power and you don't care about the heart, you're probably going to focus more on the, that orange ray, just building of personal power. But if, if a positive entity chose to build personal power, it's not necessarily negative. It's how you use it. So I, I see that the, the negative path has distortions that are purely negative, but then they have configurations that are consistent with the positive. It's just that they, they're valued more in the negative role, right? Willpower is probably valued more. But willpower isn't necessarily positive or negative. It's more how you use it. So that's how I would kind of word it in that um, there are things that, the negative path focuses on that aren't that are also things that are consistent and useful for the positive path. We just don't focus on it as much, right? Yeah, and and I appreciate everything you're saying. For me, I think it's really important for a discussion of polarity not to deviate into uh, putting aspects of humanity in good and bad buckets, right? Right. Like the idea should be that uh, all of this is very fluid how we intend things, how we use our power. Like we don't even understand how we do this a lot of the time. So for me, I really want to always have this like kind of uh, mix of these, of these polarities at hand in any situation. So we always have front of mind that idea that it's our choice and that the choice is presented to us at every moment. Instead of saying, well, parenting might, seem like control but it's actually good no 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 no. parenting is control and control can be can definitely be a bad thing and i don't think there's any parent who hasn't abused their their power of control at some point i also don't think there's any parent that has never shown any kind of concern or love for their child if they actually have a relationship with them it's inherent in the nature of having a relationship with someone that they matter at least in some sense so like all of these things are um, 
it's really where we as creative agents of the creator, as individual, like, you know, chips off the old block, where do we place the emphasis? That I think is where polarity comes in. And I think it is in the yellow and orange rays that you are going to see the most examples of this mix coming into play and your ability to emphasize the positive over the negative, your ability to, to take a situation that would normally call for rigid control and find a creative way to make it a, a way of setting the person free. I, I think there's a lot of um, things that come off as controlling in parenting that actually is about freeing the person, but it's not freeing the person in this moment right now. It's a broader, right. uh, uh, longer view of who that person is. And that's love to see somebody as not just who you are right now, but in the broad scheme of things. Right. So I think, um, you know, the disagreement for us might be more uh, theoretical than practical because in practice, you know, I've always been. Uh, big on, you might recognize a goal, but it's not about, uh, it's not about uh, reminding yourself, I have to be this way. It's about how to organically get there. Yes, um, you know, yes. I'm not a parent. If I was a parent, I am hundred percent sure there's going to be some very control, like not very controlling. There's going to be some controlling things. Um, and I don't think forcing myself to say, Oh, don't exercise control is going to be helpful. No. I think in, in, in practice on this earth, on this planet, just the way where we are in society and what we've been taught and raised, no matter how much we try, it's going to be somewhat negative in certain ways. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I do though, believe that there is like, as we're transitioning closer and closer to fourth density, there is a way to parent more and more where, it, where we get rid of these 3d mechanisms. But frankly, I think right now, if I if I decide to sit down, have a child, and be like, I'm going to parent from a fourth density perspective, I think it would be a total disaster. Because yeah. frankly, I, I you I don't think you can get there by just reminding yourself. You have to get there organically, and 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 getting there organically is often trying to do your best, doing what you know currently kind of works, and learning from it. And and part of that is going to be using some you know more controlling aspects of parenting, but. Uh, I think actually this uh, this entire topic of um, the difficulty in understanding what someone else is thinking kind of segues to uh, the next common challenge I think that I face and I think a lot of seekers face is – so you don't know what they're thinking, right? right. I think we've mainly discussed uh, issues where we don't have much skin in the game. But we always – there's so many situations where we have skin in the game. There might be an interaction where we don't know what's really going on, what they're truly thinking um, – but it's on a subject that uh, there's personal re strong resonance for us, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, uh, and this can happen on an orange or yellow ray, um, kind of um, interaction. Uh, there's an ambiguous situation. You just had a story. And then you get this really sarcastic laugh at the end of it in a group. And you're like, okay. And may let's say you are a person who's already maybe self-conscious about that story for whatever reason. Then, then it's, this, this comes up all the time, right? Is it me or is it them, right? Or is it something, or is it something totally unrelated? Maybe sometimes in those rare situations, something else happened uh, across the room, across the bar that they're laughing at, right? And it's, it's, it's almost like it's a very free will um, choice there of how you're going to interpret that, right? And, and, yeah. and a lot of times there's a lot of polarity in that, in that interpretation, right? I think it's in the interpretation. I think even Ross says this. It's in the interpretation of events, the interpretation of catalysts in particular, that the positive and negative paths are are, are called out most um, realistically and in the moment, in the context. Right? Like, what's your what's your uh, spontaneous reaction to, to to that catalyst? 
is your spontaneous re- uh, reaction to that uh, laughter being like, oh, they must be making fun of me? Or is your spontaneous reaction like, oh, something's funny. I wonder what it is. Maybe it's me, <laughs> you know, like right, right. this, 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 this freeness and this willingness to accept the situation's uh, ambiguity rather than this rush to have it be in this certain interpretation, this certain context, I think has a lot to do with the difference between the paths. And it's really the mirroring effect that that uh, occurs yeah. when you're interacting with other selves. And it's it's so hard, right? Because especially if you have a lot of, I mean, we all have stuff from our past where we're still kind of working on it or it's still kind of uh, in the back of our mind. And sometimes it's not even conscious, right? And it yeah. just, it warps our interpretation of the situation. Um, I, 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 you know, I definitely have examples of that. Do you have any uh, examples where, you, where that's happened to you? Like where my interpretation of things was warped from what was actually going on? Based on strong uh, experiences you've had in the past, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say the place where it happens the most is when my work is being evaluated by peers who don't share the journey that I went on to deliver that work. And so that is their greatest service that they can do for me is their objectivity. They're being divorced from this story. Right. And just seeing, is it doing what you say it does? Like this code that you write. And like, that's what I want. And yet I feel abused often. Right. Like (laughs) I feel like they're not taking into account the holistic nature of the solution that I provided them. It isn't just something designed. If it were just something designed to serve this one thing, then the amount of time that I spent having to like bring it into existence would feel very, very wasted. Like the prop that I have learned more and more that like solving software problems means understanding the people behind the scenes, the, 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 the mission of the organizations that, uh, that, that, that contract for the software to be done in the first place. And yet, um, I can't express that in code. I can only express that in some sort of like, uh, muling defense (laughs) of my, of my work after the fact, or, or I could uh, just take it in stride. And if I feel any resistance to that stuff, take it into meditation, right? And I've done both Absolutely. of those things. Yeah. And so there's there's so many examples of this. Um, so one example that I, I've, uh, or one catalyst that I've, I've worked on is um, for whatever reason, when I was little, um, you know, well, Growing up, I think I've made it clear in pre- previous podcasts that I, I, de- I definitely dealt with a lot of uh, orange rage distortion of lack of self-love growing up, right? Yeah. And I remember one of the interactions that that I have with my parents is, um, you know, whenever I used to talk about something that would be uh, a subjective experience or something that is hard to verify, whether it's about a spiritual experience or whether it's about, hey, you know, we just built this house and the room I'm in. There's something that's causing um, there's whether it's off gassing or fungus or something that's causing like congestion in, in, in me at night. And it's very difficult to sleep here. So I'm going to sleep in, you know, in this other room across the house. And, you know, my my dad, he wouldn't have the same sort of congestion. He, he tries sleeping there. He's like, oh, you just it's all uh, psychosomatic. You're making it up in your head. But he'd say it in a very like um, what I would perceive as a very dismissive tone, almost as if he didn't value me. And that paired with the underlying orange ray distortion of uh, lack of self-worth it very much colored my uh, perception of those interactions, right? Looking back, I think he was just stressed out, didn't have too much on his plate already, stuff like that, right? But 
that kind of dismissive attitude that my dad occasionally would take with me, I remember would still come up in my 20s or early 30s when someone uh, in retrospect, a third, you know, someone, a friend would be super stressed out about something and I would say something and they just totally disregard it. Like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Uh, in general, you don't say that to your friends unless you're already stressed. But for me, because I had those prior experiences, it would it would just instantly reconnect with that uh, original distortion, those original memories, and energize them. Right. So once again, you could interpret the situation that your friends being dismissive. Well, maybe they're super stressed out because in general, friends are not dismissive about even stuff they disagree with like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, unless you have a very um, abrasive friend, <laughs> yeah. and we all have those. Yeah. You know, honestly, our our own experiences definitely color a lot of these ambiguous situations, and in in enhance the mirroring effect. And, um, it really just provides us uh, more catalyst for ourselves. Um, if we, yeah. if we're able to approach the situation with that kind of view, maybe not in, if not in the moment, at least afterwards when you're doing your daily work. Absolutely. And there was something you were talking about that really struck a nerve with me about, um, like we build these narratives out of this data that we take in. We build the, like, we are trying to take what somebody does or what people do or like conditions that uh, precipitate into our uh, perception and we're trying to make it make sense. That is a big part of how we work with catal catalysts in general, I think, is this ability to like create a narrative that makes it make sense to us. The sense that we are making of it is our sense. It's right. our creative narrative, the story we're telling ourselves about what's going on here. And it is difficult to imagine us not doing that and working purposefully in the world as it exists, right? Like we have to kind of like have some idea of what it is that we're all doing here and what I'm doing here and what you're doing here. And this is all something that we invent in order to make sense out of things. But the way that we do that, that is evidence of our the polarity that we are that, that I guess that is most native to us at that point in our evolution. Uh, do we see it as uh, something that is to be defended against and to be sort of like manipulated and controlled that, so that that narrative uh, uh, tells a story that, uh, that, that uh, enlarges our ego and makes us feel better and holds us separate from other and higher up than other people. Or is that narrative something that provides an opportunity for us to see ourselves in the other and to, uh, to, 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 to find that help that we can offer them? Absolutely. So I think uh, let me just finish off this uh, topic of common challenges with another common challenge that, uh, frankly, it's not just seekers face, but I think everyone faces is um, in a group situation, knowing how to the, there's a dance there's a dance in a group situation in most groups where you actually know at least one individual in an orange ray capacity there's a dance between orange and yellow ray and even if you don't know anyone in the group if you've been interacting with that group for more than just a moment even in that group yellow ray setting right uh, uh, uh let's say a you know a work meeting of you're, you're starting a new job having a, a, a you know on the first day a, a um a group meeting a conference uh, with other members of your, you know, company, uh, that starts off as very much yellow, right? You literally know their names and titles. <laughs> That's about yep. it. But from that moment, assuming you're going to, you know, spend more than five seconds with them, 
orange ray relationships begin to form, even in the context of that yellow ray setting, right? So one thing that I've noticed is, um, and I think you you often see this, <laughs> you often see this in social settings where you have a husband, uh, you have a couple, and there's some sort of group conversation going on. And then one person in the couple says something that upsets the uh, other member of the couple, their significant other, in a very orange ray, in a very orange ray way, right? Where they kind of look at them like, what? I can't believe you just said that or had a position in, about this topic, right? And it, it, so there's a dynamic, there's an interaction between yellow and orange ray relationships within the group. And the reason I mention this is that it is very, very, it, it plays a large, large part in group politics is understanding yellow and orange ray dynamics. And the reason I mention that is that I've noticed that if you have a one-on-one relationship with an individual, right? Let's say it's your, uh, uh, your peer in, in the workplace, right? A peer coworker. So someone who's on the same level, right? Uh, or let's say it's a one-on-one relationship, good relationship with um, a boss, right? Or your boss's yeah. boss. Right. That significantly changes some of the yellow ray political expectations when there's a group discussion about you supporting one another. And it's almost like unspoken, but it's there, right? And it it's not just in group uh, politics, even in social circles, there's often um, an, an interplay with, oh, this person's my orange ray friend, right? So in a yellow ray discussion, there's going to be some sort of expectation. Now you could say it's cultural. You could say it's individual. I, I don't know. I haven't mastered this, so I don't know where it comes from. But there's an interaction between um, orange ray and yellow ray expectations, you know? Oh, I mean, and it has positive and negative connotations. I mean, what you were talking about could be described as favoritism, right? The ability that you have to leverage a personal relationship with the person you report to and turn that to yellow ray role-based advantage, or it could be that your ability as manager Man, I hope I'm uh, predicting the future here. Your ability as manager to connect with someone on a personal level helps you achieve organizational goals better, almost in spite of their ability to understand what they're doing, right? Like they don't see what you see. I mean, I often think about the fact that by being in management, you are sort of in all of the meetings that you then have to kind of like represent to your subordinates what happened and what matters to them to keep right. them focused on work and to make them feel like they matter and they participate, but you're kind of the organ through which that happens. And so your ability to have that one-on-one relationship with them, that orange ray relationship that like, you know, you've got their back. Um, it's certainly something that I'm aspiring to in my new role <laughs> because yeah, I definitely, and- I definitely think that managers owe their primary duty to the people they serve. And the secondary duty to the organization in terms of like, eh, maybe I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, it's not necessarily a very uh, common perspective, at least yeah. in the workplace. Um, but, you know, it's 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 funny because this you see people, you know, mess this up all the time. Like, like you can talk to someone one on one. And, you know, you can say you can whether it's the workplace or Andre relationship or a friendship you know, at some point you might not say this is confidential, but it's obvious what you're talking about is confidential. It's obvious right. to one party at least, right? Yeah. Um, you know, let, let me just put it in a very easy context. You're talking, you have a good one-on-one relationship with your direct report and you're like, hey man, honestly, I fought against this initiative. I don't believe this, but this is what we got to do to make the higher ups happy. So let's just, you know, let's just do it, right? 
you don't expect that person in the conference to say that, right? But sometimes, you know, even if you have a really good orange ray relationship, if they're not very well versed in orange and yellow ray interactions and you, what what is appropriate and what's not appropriate in the context, they might just blurt that out. <laughs> and then, then that affects you in a yellow ray situation. And also, if you had some orange ray relationships with uh, some higher ups, that could affect that. So there's there's so much interaction between orange and yellow ray and understanding uh, when something is only orange ray, when something is only yellow ray, and when something is both. And it's it's honestly not it's not very easy always to untangle those. I think meditation is a great tool, though. Um, and, and I don't and I don't say that like as a like as an offhand kind of thing uh, that you could always say about any situation, but specifically to the extent that you are trying to um, separate these rays into distinct energies. Right. So you, it's not it's not as a scientific uh, uh, endeavor uh, that's frivolous. It is a way to sort of understand what what energy center you're coming from and to be mindful of that so that when you encounter blockages that you almost certainly will in the in the mixture of these different rays uh you can you can sort of in your reflection separate them out understand where your blockages are so that you can get up here so you can get to your heart center that's that's that is the goal here like we can talk about playing roles in society we can talk about being good partners in one-on-one relationships but at the end of the day all of those uh, uh, energies and relationships are supposed to be serving our getting to the to the green ray center. Absolutely, and and Ross specifically mentions right uh, from the positive perspective um, the way to the best way to balance the yellow ray specifically. Uh, Ross says is to love all those in relationship uh, with it, um, and really I think that's also good advice to really uh, strengthen your orange ray as well. Right, those individual relationships. Um, so. Let's move on to the next topic, which is kind of what are some useful frameworks for kind of viewing um, these orange and yellow ray interactions that can sometimes help us deal with these aforementioned problems. And so one thing that I've found very useful, um, and once again, much like many of these frameworks, it's very difficult in the moment to to recognize and use these frameworks. These are more um, the work of putting in the daily practice and using it as kind of like a, a, a balancing technique, a processing technique of something cat- catalytic that happened earlier in the day. Right. So mm-hmm. I think first off is understanding um, the distortions, the common distortions that um, many have in orange and yellow ray uh, interactions. And for the first one, uh, there's really five categories. I'm just going to broadly state the categories that I found useful and then go into them in more detail. Um, so one category is, uh, there are some distortions that I recall are from the 2D, second density mind, uh, specifically uh, tribal distortions. And Ra actually talks about this. So it's uh, session 19, um, question 15. So basically, let me just, there's a long question. Uh, so the question is about um, about new third density beings who have just made the transition from second density. Is there some sort of a bias in second density for service to self. Uh, and so Ra answers, I am Ra, this is incorrect. The second density concept of se- serving self includes serving of those associated with the tribe or pack. This is not seen in second density as a separation of self and other self. All is seen as self since in some forms of second density entities, if the tribe or pack becomes weakened, so does the entity within the tribe or pack. Thus, 
the new or initial initial third density entity has this innocent, shall we say, bias or distortion towards viewing those in family, the society, as you would call it, perhaps country as self. Though a distortion not helpful for progress in third density, it is without polarity. So I think basically my understanding is that a lot of the things that we attribute to um, evilness in society, at least a portion of that, that tribal mentality is really a second density mind holdover of that tribal identity. And it's not service to self, it's not service to others inherently, although obviously if you're going off killing all these other people who are outside your tribe, that's definitely more service to self. But the reason I say it's not service to self or service to others is um, my family, it's a huge family on my dad's side, they're very, very close. And I feel like at least some members of of the family that I've spent a lot of time with, I think they frankly approach it from more of of a, a second density bias, they're just this is this is my family. It's who I am, you know, you know, um, and it's kind of not necessarily a service to others or a service to self kind of a view on it. Do you have any comments on, on that particular kind of framework? Uh, absolutely. Um, so I think this is part of what we were talking about in the last episode, me and Ryan, when we were talking about how second density creatures tend to be very pure. They are purely themselves and purely the pack or the larger group because they don't have that self-reflective nature that asks whether this belonging, this identity is desired by the self at all, right? It's only when we get into this self-consciousness that we start to say, well, do I want what prevails? Do I want to be part of this family? Am I proud to be part of this family? Am I not part, proud to be part of this company or this nation or all these things? All of these things start to come into play. And you can channel the energies in any way you want with this. Um, I think the interesting thing with Yellow Ray in, 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 in reflection of this like identitarian nature of Orange Ray, right, is that in Orange and Yellow Ray, you are starting to talk about, okay, I can be part of a group, but only play this one role. And I'm self-consciously playing this one role as a unit in this larger thing. Um, the more that you do that, the more that you start to identify with the role rather than with the overall. And I think when we're getting to green race social memory, we're talking about going the full circle of selfhood, where you've come from this sort of like pack identity through a reflection on yourself as a member of that pack and what that means and discovering something within yourself that is not part of the pack, but it's part of you individually to when you get to green Ray, you pledge that thing that you have that light within you. You pledge that self-consciously self-aware with self-awareness of what you're doing to the group. And that's different than just being part of a pack that is kind of like a corporate entity of like these different parts. It's all of these parts having their own intelligence that is uh, uh, marshalling all of their power, focusing it all as a planet. That is a completely different thing than a pack. But it takes that concept of self. It takes that awareness of self as a self, awareness of other self as a self, right? It takes that first. Yellow Ray is this weird place where we start to like the pieces start to come together. That's how I absolutely. see it. No, no, absolutely. And I, and I wanted to um, just to clarify one point in that uh, this, the kind of view of, um, you know, the uh, family society or country as self, it starts off without polarity, but I think often um, 
it goes into this other category. So, you know, I call this a 2D tribal mind, but often in today's world, some of this is taking place, but often this 2D tribal mentality has made it to what I call the 3D egoic mind. And mm-hmm. so that, that's an orange and yellow ray thing. But basically yeah. where you start to say, it's not just that I'm a, I'm a part of this family tribe society, but my family tribe society is better than these other ones. It, like I'm, I'm inherently better or, you know, um, with, with, in a very judgmental sense, right? It's a very like negative, like, and this allows you to justify to, um, you know, kill the other tribe completely, right? Just because Absolutely. they're not your tribe. And Absolutely. You can radiate orange ray identity, but also use the yellow ray as an instrumental step towards that. Right. And, you know, this, so the other framework I wanted to, to talk about is um, kind of the third density ego. Uh, and the reason I mentioned the third density ego is I want to say it's it's very distinct than cultural distortions because the other frameworks I'm going to talk about is very culturally are cultural distortions. But regardless of what culture you're in, you know, unless you've been doing the personal work to kind of uh, become more service to others, I think when the energy is kind of stuck in the orange and yellow ray without going to the green, it very much strengthens what, for lack of a better word, for lack of a better definition, kind of a third density ego. And what I mean by this third density ego, and and frankly, I'll probably redefine the word ego in a different session, but for now, you know, just I'm using it to refer to this idea of it's a personal identity. It's a group or group identity, right? Personal identity is orange, right? Group identity is, is yellow, right? But it's, it's, it's where basically you're basically just egotistical about it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm trying to think it's difficult because I, I've been doing a lot of well, I guess I'd like to think naturally I've never had much of an ego. So it's, a, it's harder for me to think of a personal example, but examples I've seen with other people is, um, I mean, you see a little bit of, you, you see, you, you see it with, you know, country identification. It's what we talked about, right? You see it with political party identification for sure. Right. Uh, in the yellow Ray ego. And it's almost like, and the reason I call it an ego is that w- what I associate with ego is it often feels threatened. <laughs> it often wants to show that it's in charge and dominant. And anything that questions the ego is often – there's a immediate and very often uh, emotional um, uh, pushback, right? So if you s- criticize uh, a group, someone who's very vested in that group from a third-density egoic perspective is going to feel attacked and they'll want to respond, right? So that's what I mentioned. And I feel that this is true across all cultures. Like unless you've been doing the work to be ser- more service to others and move, to, move the energy to the heart, right? It's going to be something that's present in these social interactions. It, it has to do with the fact that you, as a personality, as a waking consciousness and third density, tend to want to have a concrete self that others are interacting with and that you regard as yours, right? Like we create this self moment by moment. It is not real. This personality is not real in any material way. The fact that you recognize me as Jeremy, not simply by the way that I look, but by the nuances of how I, the the way that I talk, the way that I carry myself, all of these things build into an identity that I reproduce from moment to moment. Even though if you look at me now versus where I was when I was five years old, completely different Jeremy. I mean, there's some things that shine through it. And, and, and those are the deeper parts of myself that I can't 
um, sort of contrive into existence, right? Through a right. manner of speaking, through a style and all of this stuff. Right. Um, but to the extent that you rely upon that contrived sense of self, it will be vulnerable. It will be able to be attacked. And to the extent that you have uh, um, learned about yourself to a sufficient level that you can draw upon that deeper part of yourself that's closer to that light you carry within, the less you will be threatened by people attacking those outer constructions of self, right? Absolutely. And when we're talking about this sort of group ego, you know, especially in the example of, um, for example, political party affiliation, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily involve that there's some sort of um, deep distortion towards lack of, of, of self-worth. I mean, certainly that could be an aspect of it, but really it's just that you identify so strongly with this that you don't in a third density um non-green ray perspective that you don't want it, it the ego the yellow and orange ray they don't want to be they want to they don't want to be diminished in power right that's the basic configuration if it's not informed by the green ray and the upper rays so whenever there's an attack or something criticism the instinctual response or i, I don't know if instinctual is the best word but the the non-green ray response to these criticism and attack is a part of you wants to fight back so the political party affiliation is one common one. Um, let me give you an example from my personal life where uh, many of us have an orange ray identity based on our career, right? And what I mean by that is if someone's like, Nithin, you know, you're a, you're a terrible artist or you're a terrible, um, you're a terrible um, carpenter. Well, I've, I mean, maybe I took a carpeting class in middle school, but I, I don't view my identity as a carpenter. It's not my career. I don't care. Right. right. Really. It's not even a hobby of mine. Even, But let's say it was a hobby. I still I still probably would not really, really care because uh, hobbies, generally speaking, at least for me, they're a very small part of my orange identity. But to be frank, you know, I'm a lawyer. If someone said, you know, Nathan, you're a terrible attorney, a part of me would feel um, – would feel attacked, right? Um, I, I've been doing a lot of personal work, so I like to think I won't feel that attacked. But um, there, within all of us, there's that egoic um, third density identity attachment to who we are, and often it's to our career. So it's it's something that is there. And I think understanding that dynamic um, is very important when you're interacting with groups, right? Because, for example, some people, especially people who have other orange ray distortions, right? Let's say they're not only identified on their career, but they have a significant orange ray distortion of not being good enough. And can you still hear me? Because uh, I think it's breaking up a little bit. No, I'm, I hear you just fine. Okay, wonderful. So, um, you know, let's say someone else at the workplace who is very identified with their, their role as your boss, and they, but they also, maybe unknowingly to you, have a significant orange ray distortion of unworthiness, right? Uh, let's say you might be in a group, you might be in a yellow ray interaction at a conference, or you might be in a one-on-one orange ray interaction. Uh, let's just say it's a conference and there's some idea that this, this boss of yours has, and you, you're not really, you don't think it's a great idea. Um, and you, you say what you think is a very political, uh, polite, um, not even criticism, just pointing out maybe where, uh, there's issues with their idea. Um, but because you didn't know that they're so strongly identity is so strongly identified maybe with their career, maybe because you didn't know they had the a significant, much more significant distortion of lack of self-worth, they might take that in a very hostile manner and it might actually affect how they view you as a worker. And I, I've literally had this happen um, where you really sometimes have to tiptoe 
very gently around those in power because you don't know what distortions they have. You don't know how strongly identified they are with a particular role or position. And anything, even in the slightest manner that could be construed as an attack, will be perceived as an attack and often to your detriment. Yeah, I, I agree. And this is where, like, having that orange ray ability to relate to them as individuals can possibly help you have a healthier relationship. Sorry for my beagles howling in the background. Oh, no worries. <laughs> but um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, this is the problem with hierarchy. You just stated it. Power hierarchy means that whoever finds themselves at the top, it doesn't matter how enlightened they are. It doesn't matter how mature they are. It doesn't matter that they uh, have distortions that they have let linger. You're going to be subject to them. The the you know what rolls downhill. <laughs> Absolutely, very and, very and, good and, point. And, and look, like uh, this, there's there's a quote from uh, a uh, conscious channeling session from 1990, June 15th, where. Um, those of Latwi say, uh, in the yellow ray, there is a capacity to take in those configurations of energy with the, which express complex arrangements of interactions. We find these arrangements embodied in institutions and in practices, and more intimately in attitudes that come out of these institutions and practices. So that is with respect to the attitudes that the more immediate work is accomplished when working in yellow gray. All of these things have penumbras and auras that issue from them. It's bigger than just people occupying positions of power within the hierarchy. There's entire thought forms that come out of this. And I, and I think that there is a session that the working group intensive circle did um, at the first intensive dealing with yellow ray concerns in organizations where they talked about like the, the reason why these yellow ray relationships matter in the spiritual sense is because there's these finer energies that are being woven together finer than what we can accomplish in that one individual to individual orange ray that is a very intense but also very direct way of relating when you get into yellow ray now it's about possibly thousands of people all sort of having these finely woven uh relationships and responsibilities to each other that are hard to articulate and the more complicated and um sophisticated the organization is the less you're going to be able to just put your finger on the way that you relate to all these things and say that's what's going on right there's this deeper uh finer thing going on that we can't even really understand and yet we all feel its power we all feel the pull that organization has we all know that whether you're organizing a workplace you're organizing a business you're organizing like a family gathering any of these things like these this ability to relate to people where you can see them as uh, all part of a, a machine to say a machine would be, would be too uh, mechanistic, but like maybe all part of an organism, right? And the organism has different organs in it and all of these things are necessary for the whole to come into view. But how do you know that your part of the, of the organization is going to be preserved? You don't necessarily, you are a, in, in, in other words, uh, Yellow Ray seems to be an enlightened version, in potentially, of being a means to an end. Of not right, being exactly. an end in yourself, but being a means. But what's the positive way to realize being a means? And I think service is one way to talk about it. Service. Inside of service is encompass all of the different ways that we relate to one another and that we affect one another. 
Absolutely. And it, it honestly can be very difficult. Um, you know, even if we build these communities, obviously um, the other cells working group and, and the meetings we have, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful meeting uh, of people, you know, um, we've been doing it virtually, but it's still, it's great. Uh, but sometimes it's, uh, it's, it feels the application of these energies and understanding these energies is very different when you're working with people who are still um, having not made the choice or on the verge of making the choice or still kind of uh, just on the path, right? And, they bring uh, in these confused attitudes. I think that Latwi session really got into it well. Um, did, could I quote one more part from it? Oh, please. Uh, so Latwi says, the attitudes involve a give and take of energies and an acceptance of patterns and behavior and a feeling which comes upon one as from a source which is larger than one and which seems to be other than one. To deal effectively with the balancing of the yellow ray, one must accept that the illusion in which, in which one deals is as it should be. And one must accept the gift that the illusion offers in the form of the particular experience, which is one's own. I think that puts it so much better. I was striving for an explanation that was like that. But it's like you have to accept the yellow ray matrix of power as kind of a given and then work from there. Absolutely. The reason that you accept it as a given is you recognize the sophistication of the of the relationships with which you're dealing. It is not something where you, I can just sit down with Nithin, have a one-on-one, -on -one, and we can work through our, our BS, right? No, no, no. Right. no. You're talking about potentially tens, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people when you start getting into the finer ways in which a nation state relates to each other, right? Absolutely. And I think this quote is, is very uh, on point because, uh, you know, if you've listened uh, to our previous um, podcast, and I think also the presentation about balancing techniques, uh, there's many ways into acceptance. And yes. the kind of one way that we're that I'm using right now for this discussion is understanding. Uh, not that you can understand everything, frankly, but if you can't, at least for me, I guess I'm very more uh, mind-oriented, um, is if you can understand something, for me, it's then very easy for me to accept it. Uh, so that's kind of why we're going through some of these frameworks. And to continue on to the other three frameworks, and these, these final three frameworks is understanding um, distortions through the lens of culture. So there's really three frameworks here in that uh, one I term is culturally recognized distortions that are encouraged. The other area is culturally recognized distortions that are discouraged. And the other area is culturally um, is, is distortions that are not culturally recognized. Uh, let me start with that category uh, distortions that are not culturally recognized. So for example, when I, when I have a one-on-one -on -one discussion or sometimes a yellow ray group discussion of people who are open to maybe more spiritual things, but maybe this is the first time they've really talked about it. And when I say open to spiritual things, you know, I very much ground it in practical advice of how, to, how people's lives can be better. So one thing that often comes up is, you know, because I, you know, work in the field of law, a lot of stress related to the job. I often talk sure. to other people about how to cut down on, on their stress, right? And I say, hey, you know, the idea that we're often raised with and society teaches us that we have to we have to work hard. And if we're not working hard, we're not good citizens. The whole framework of you have to work hard. You have to do these things. You have to must, must. These are all things that are almost like triggering our fight or flight response from the red ray. And yes, look, I've been there. I've done it. There's a deadline. I have to get this done. The adrenaline's pumping. I get it done. It works. Absolutely. It works. 
But the question is, isn't there a better way to go about this? And I, and I, you know, I've been trying to tell people that you can move. I, I, I often characterize what I just described as a very control fear based uh, way of motivating yourself to work. Um, and you can move from a control and fear based um, motivation to a love based motivation, you know, like just finding out, but once again, you know, I'm big on organic flow. So in any given time you want to implement in the moment, you might not succeed. It's more about doing the daily work, being like, okay, you know, I was really stressed out about this. And the only reason I finished it is because I felt I had to, I gave myself a forced deadline. So how can I, in that daily moment, in that meditation later on that day, thinking about how can I approach it differently? When are times where I've done great work without feeling like I have a deadline, without feeling the rush of adrenaline, you know, and at least for me, it's when I start early and I tell myself, you don't even have to work on this more than 10, 15 minutes, just, just get it going. And you know what, even if there's a deadline coming up in three or four days, if for whatever reason you need to ask for an extension, you're going to ask for it. You, you're going to give yourself that out that if something comes up and you need to ask for more time uh, and people are like, oh, how can you do that? It's like, well, I trust myself. I've used this methodology enough to, to know that 95% of the time I don't ask for an extension. I actually get work done much more efficiently and productively because I'm not under stress. I'm not stressed out. I need less downtime because I'm not filled with adrenaline at the end of the workday. But when I talk about this, this, uh, this idea that we in this society, we're motivated by fear and control and adrenaline and fight or flight to get our work done, at least in professional careers like the lawyers, they just look at me like I'm crazy. Like they don't even understand the distortion that motivates their, their, um, their hard work. It's like, they, it's just totally foreign to them. So this would be an example of something that I would say it's a distortion of, of motivating yourself through fear that they don't, it doesn't even trigger. It's not even on the radar. They don't even see it. Right. Um, do you have any comments or kind of other, uh, maybe distortion that would fit into this category? Yeah, I think there is a pattern that we use uh, lower chakras as like ways to whip ourselves in the shape because those energies as unpleasant as they can often be do get results. In fact, those are the very energies, emotions, feelings, attitudes that, served us well in second density that got us from being rocks to being, you know, trees and animals. And, um, they're our patrimony. They, we, they, they are there to be drawn upon. It's, I just think it's important that we recognize that, that, that truly moving the ball forward on the evolutionary path involves creativity. Now it is not simply the limbic system uh, responding to Absolutely. Like, stimuli. That is a second density way of relating to things. And we will always have that within us, just like we have that first density uh, consciousness within us. And there are tools that we use for that too. But we, as we move forward through the densities, I believe that we learn to have different aspects of selfhood that we that are mysterious in potentiation, and that through catalysis come into activation. We learn to trust and rely upon them, and then we don't have to. It, it's 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 more an issue of nobody makes themselves. Uh, slave away at a job because they like it. They do it because they don't have an alternative. Right. Being open, being open to the to the potential of the moment makes you more and more aware of the creative potential of that moment. And what I saw you uh, talking about as what I heard uh, you you saying was that you came up with a way of using the energy of the present moment to focus yourself and get away from other 
uh, uh, tools, other energetic uh, ways of expressing yourself that might be more deleterious, right? Absolutely. And, you know, so I've given an example. And the reason I gave this example is, you know, in um, not my current job, my last job, I had, you know, 10, 12 direct reports. And these were often new attorneys and I'd be mentoring them as how to do great work without being necessarily completely stressed out, which is a very common way, I guess, uh, new attorneys handle stuff. Um, And when I would describe it in the broad overview of what I just did, you know, basically like blank stares. So then, you know, I learned, I would, I I learned and I recognized this, um, this was an area where even just talking about the distortion it didn't even register as some, it wasn't recognized as a distortion, like motivating yourselves through this sort of work. So then I kind of reworded what I was saying and I put it into a category of distortions that are culturally recognized and encouraged. And I'd say, Hey, you know, I I know that you have to get this done, but have you thought about like being consistent about, you know, exercising every day after work? Um, You don't, you might feel like you need to stay late, but there's always tomorrow. And, you know, consistency is key when it comes to exercise. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because that's something that's, that's understood and recognized culturally. Now it doesn't necessarily fully encompass what I was trying to describe, but it at least does a little bit, right. They're not super hyper-focused on like, you know, fight or flight. I'm going to die if I don't get this done uh, on this particular time when, you know, it's just more, it's, it's a more relaxing way of engaging with it, but it's, but it's putting it in some way they understand. Yeah, yeah, it's giving exactly. you a toehold into a different way of being a self, right? Exactly. And you're and you're exposing them to this. Hey, you are more than what you think you are right at this moment. It's, exactly. It's beautiful. And, and and to use that same example in the third way is to also say in that conversation, hey, you know, um, look, man, look, you know, you're starting to burn out, and the reason I can tell is, yeah, you know, like the other day you were snapping at people, and you recognize that. This was happening. This was happening. These are all signs of burning out, you know, just the way you carry yourself. And, you know, you have to know the person one-on-one, have that orange relationship to know when you can call them out usually. And, and, and when you have, you, you actually are recognizing the correct signs of burnout as opposed to something's going on in their personal life at home that's making them upset. Right. And they're like, you know, burnout is to most extent, at least in some workplaces, a culturally recognized and discouraged distortion. And they're like, yeah, I'm burning out. I got to, I got to cut back. Right. It still is not the full kind of overview of what I talked about earlier about how fundamentally our society, the way we motivate our work is, is fear and control and fight or fight based, but it, it gets us closer to the ballpark. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So those are just kind of, uh, you know, just some examples of uh, maybe understanding uh, as lot. We talks about where, these distortions and the orange ray and yellow ray are, are currently at and, and helping you maybe figure out a little bit more of and interpreting a little bit more of these ambiguous uh, social and one-on-one interactions can help us, um, you know, basically better utilize our own catalysts in these interactions, but also help us maybe uh, serve others in helping them utilize their catalyst. And ultimately the reason this is all for, uh, well, Jeremy, why, why, why are we talking so much today about orange and yellow ray distortions? Like what's the whole point of this? Uh, you've been begging me to do this episode for a long time. And I finally <laughs> gave, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think it's because these are the lower chakras. These are the lower energy centers. They are, if they're distorted, they're in the way of that energy flowing to the heart. And the green ray, the open heart, is the goal. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. Couldn't Good, because I thought myself. maybe you meant something else and I was <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. Nice. 
I mean, yeah, the whole like, point of this, yeah, is is so that you can more and more bring that energy up to the heart. And um, it's it's a when you're on the path and you start to experience it, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. Um, it just it feels like the energy is flowing. And if you've never really experienced it, it's hard to describe. But um, it just it just feels right, you know. And and another thing I would say is that uh, those moments when you are able to open the heart, it imbues the lower chakras below it with more meaning and uh, character of possibility, right? Like things that seem so complicated and insurmountable in Yellow Ray start to seem like doable. Things that seem so fraught and uh, you'll never get beyond these these problems in an orange ray individual relationship start to dissolve and you start to see that these are just things, these are just energies to be worked with. And there's what what I'm trying to say is that it's in the it's in the green ray that you start to really come into your own with the creative potential of these seven colors that we paint our our uh, uh, picture of the creator with. That we try to show each other who we are, not just who we are individually, but who they are as a result of all of us being in this relationship of service. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we uh, we did a, a real good job here. We covered uh, all the topics that I, I was thinking about would be useful uh, to have a uh, examination of it. at least if you're if you're trying to better understand these orange and yellow ray distortions uh you know raw talks about specifically that i think sometimes um when people get fed up uh with with uh, the whole yellow ray thing they revert to orange rays right um, maybe if at least one person is less likely to do that because of this <laughs> we, podcast uh, we succeeded if, right if you're a survivalist <laughs> pay heed my friend uh it is not about the individual surviving of apocalypse that is not the road that we as a species on this planet are traversing. We are in it together. We don't need to protect the self nearly as much as we often think that we should. Sometimes there's a place for it, right? And I'm not, the one thing that we can't do, Nathan, the one thing that we can't do for the listener is give them hard and fast rules. What we're encouraging is a creativity and the ability to think laterally about life so that you are not trapped by its logic and you're not, um, imprisoned by its constraints the constraints become freeing they become ways to be creative and to let love and light seep through the cracks in all of these seemingly static and 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 solid things so that you can start to uh see this as a celebration of the creator in this density and then the next density and the density after that all of it is a creator all of it is self couldn't have said it better myself brother All right. Well, you want to leave it here? Yeah. Awesome. My wife is doing a craft show right now and I think she needs a bathroom break. So I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to race over there and see if I can uh, get her something to eat and give her uh, a chance to have uh, a break. And um, I'll mix this down later. (laughs) But thanks so much for doing the video thing. We are trying to do this more. um, And I think there are people who really like being able to see us. Uh, Why? I have no idea. But, no, but I, I get I it. I, I, I think there's question. more of an energy. I think there's more of an energy transfer. Um, the more closer you get to like in person. So like voice is better than text, but vo- uh, voice with video is better than just a uh, voice. Absolutely. It, 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 it bears, it bears saying Nathan, because I know that 
you and I have interacted over like bring forth and those kinds of like textual uh, tools. And when we started talking face to face online, uh, it kind of, and I saw this with other other uh, uh, seekers uh, in the working group. It we're it's not as good as hanging out and having a beer together, but it's that much closer, right? Absolutely. So I want I want the listener to think of themselves as part of this group of friends, all trying to creatively find this way of expressing the creator and kicking butt at the same time, right? Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us on yet another episode of Inaudible. Uh, reach out to us if you have any suggestions for topics. I know that we've already had one suggestion um, on talking about the sinkhole of indifference, and we're planning a uh, episode on that. But please let us know what you want. We want to serve. And in the meantime, friends, stay in the love and light. <laughs>